Interestingly enough, one of the things I want to share with you is that uh, man makes plans, Proverbs says, but the Lord will, will confirm his steps or make his path straight. And so um, with that in mind, uh, this morning we're going to talk about what we did. But I hope you all recognize that everything that we do, if God's not in it, it will fail. And yet at the same time, as we are in step with what he desires to do here on earth, then he makes our path, our, our, our path successful, if you will. Now, what does this successful uh, Christian life look like? The successful Christian life looks like us obeying God, but it st- first starts with our, our humbling ourselves before God and surrendering our life to him, recognizing that we can't do anything by ourselves, but we need him to save us. And from salvation, there's the call to salvation for the Christian. And then there's this call to sanctification where he, we're all that we will ever be in Christ and yet he's making us into the image of his son through the life experiences, the successes, the failures, the things that we go through. And then as a result of that, he's called us to salvation. He's called us to sanctification. And then he also calls us to service. And so that's my story. For me personally, uh, 14, almost 14 years ago now, I showed up at Parkland Chapel having a little bit of church experience and a lot of fleshly experience. Uh, the Lord did not see me and go, man, he's really a prize. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give salvation to him and I'm going to use him. No, what he saw was somebody showing up on his doorstep that had nothing to offer, a pauper, if you will, and he saw someone who was dead in their sins and trespasses, and he bestowed mercy and grace to me through other people that have also experienced the same thing. And so as we begin this story this morning, it really starts with Jesus doing what he did, and then Jesus taking what he did and applying it to my life. And then this morning as we begin, we'll talk about how A.V. Chapel began. And so if you want to know more about my story, I share pieces of it, but I'd love to share it with you because what God has done in my life is not because I had anything to offer. It's all because I was jacked up and he helped me to see that. And so um, this morning as we begin, uh, Arcadia Valley Chapel began in, in uh, March of 2013. March 3rd was our first service. And I have some pictures up here this morning. But before that, it began with a family. It began with people. And the church of God is made up of human beings. Those human beings are all broken and they are in need of a savior. In the case of Jesus, he came to the earth and the first thing that he did was not build a building, but he talked to people. And we know them as the 12 disciples, but ultimately um, we began with people. And so in 2013, uh, there was a young man by the name of Jerry Law. And Jerry uh, was riding four-wheelers and playing around with his brothers, and there was a tragic four-wheeler accident. Uh, Jerry um, died in that incident. Uh, Tragedy um, is what happens in this life. Uh, It happens to the good. It happens to the bad. it, It happens. And not one of us is protected from ever experiencing tragedy, but through that tragedy... Uh, my pastor in the upper right-hand corner there got to meet a man by the name of Stacy Tedford. I'm glad he's here this morning. And, uh, and, and at the graveside, they did some music, and, and Stacy, uh, I wasn't there, I was at work, and some form or another was talking to Pastor Mike about uh, needing to be saved. 
And so his heart was pricked because of a loss in his life. He was broken and realized, I, I need some hope beyond this life because this life is really hard. And so as a result of that, he brought his whole family to Parkland Chapel one Sunday morning, and they talked to Pastor Mike about salvation afterwards, and later decided, well, I want to be baptized. And so I have pictures of uh, Stacy being baptized, and of course, the most lovely cattle trough from the family center. Uh, he said afterwards that the, the water was very cold, um, and then... Uh, Heather as well. Heather had been to church before with her mom, Cindy. Uh, Cindy actually uh, came to faith through meeting guys like Dave Talley and Lance Calvert, my buddy, and Mike, I think, too, at U.S. Tool. And so our, our story is really weaved through U.S. Tool, all through Mandy. Yeah, Dave gives the credit to his wife. Good man. So um, all that said, as a result of that, I'm going to quote uh, Stacy directly, who said, I guess I ought to marry my old lady. <laughs> so it just so happens as providence would make it that i happened to be there that saturday afternoon uh, to see them get married and so their family's there with them uh, jessica's there you can see cindy she's got the long flowing hair on the lower left corner there um, but mike married them and so little did i know that this marriage and this family would have such a deep and moving impact on my life, and they, they still do. Um, and so we eventually moved down here, as you can see, and there's the picture of the kiddos in front of the creepy hospital behind my house. But uh, that said, around January, uh, my pastor and the elders up there decided um, that they were going to ordain me as a pastor. But before that happened, we began praying. Now, we had been praying for the youth. I would weekly pray with my pastor for our youth. And as we were praying, uh, Mike's heart was stirred uh, for this family that was not able to come very often to church in Farmington. And so um, he said, would you be interested in tanding, basically doing like tag team? Uh, if you ever watched WWE, what used to be the WWF, if you're my age, uh, they would have tag team rat matches. Well, in this case, we would not be big and buff and like hitting people, um, but we were going to teach every other week. He would teach one week, and then I would teach another week, and we were going to start a Bible study in Bobby Powell's uh, down here. We found Bobby Powell's. We were going to rent it. It was 60 bucks a night. We would rent it for a couple of hours. We would bring in all our stuff. We would set up our projector, and we would have worship there in the place that's now called The Woods. Um, so you see there, we actually still, because my wife keeps things, uh, we have the newspaper article about the new church starting in Ironton, and my in-laws bought a paper down at Cheryl's Mini Mart in Annapolis. And so we have a copy of the announcement, basically telling them that we were going to start a church in the area, not because the area just needed more churches, although it does, but because we believe we brought something unique to the area, which is the thing that changed my life, is Jesus, obviously, but it was that work of sanctification through the verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, teaching the whole counsel of God. God specifically gave it to us, not just so that we could carry it around and have it in one volume, but it must all be important because he put it in one binding for us. And so um, with that being said, Jesus is in the Old Testament, and he's in the New Testament, and that changed my life, and I wanted to bring that wherever God wanted to take me. And so uh, we have a picture there on the right 
of our first service at uh, Bobby Powell's. And yes, there were still dancing pigs on the walls. So chapter two or three or whatever chapter, a few months later, I talked to my wife and much to her chagrin, I said, I think uh, God's calling us to move. Now, we'd only been doing what we'd been doing. We'd been driving down on Sunday evenings, having a service for a couple of months. And my wife goes, you know, um, what do you mean move? Are we, aren't we still praying about whether or not God's called you to be the pastor of this church? And I said, well, um, I think we're already past that point. God keeps bringing people, and I had a desire to go ahead and go. Like, you know, how much more of a sign do we need? People keep showing up. Uh, the money's there for rent. Um, and I feel like God's calling us to move. And so uh, we put our house up for sale. And God delayed in selling it for six months. And there's a whole backstory to that. Uh, we still needed to be at Parkland Chapel for a while. Um, but during that time, we kept driving back and forth. And we were pregnant with Lucy. So you can, about six months from the planting of the church to when we uh, had Lucy, you can kind of judge the age of the church based on Lucy's age. Um, she's about six months behind, but she's been in every service, uh, whether in utero or in, in person. Eventually, she decided that every evening before service that she would have one of those up-the-back diapers right before we started. And so, um, you know, just because God calls you to it doesn't mean that it will be easy, and you're welcome for that graphic picture. So that said, um, we actually ended up moving in September of 2013, um, I guess just, what, six months after we started coming down here. And on the, I was driving to Poplar Bluff one day for Missouri Natural Gas, and I got a call. It was an offer for our house in Farmington. And it was less than what we were asking for, but it was the first reasonable offer. And so we were like, you know, we're not out to get rich. We just want to have enough for a down payment on our new house. And so um, at just the right time, and you guys know the, the real estate market down here, there's not a ton of houses that just pop up for sale. And if they do, they need a lot of work sometimes. And I didn't have the time because I was working full time. I was leading the youth group at Parkland Chapel, and I was also trying to plant a church down here. And so um, we were looking for a house that had a backyard for our dog, Radar, we wanted a house with a garage so we could put our junk in it because we have lots of junk. And then we also were looking for a house that was finished inside because we had a newborn and didn't have no time for that. And God answered specifically. And so he provided this house on Wayne Street here in Ironton, about two blocks behind the courthouse. And so on the same day that we had a house sell, we also had a house become available we went down and looked at it. It was everything we were looking for. And so we looked at it with my dad because he knows mechanical stuff. And then we put an offer on it and it got accepted. So we moved to the area. We moved to the area because why? When Jesus wanted to show that God loved them and that he was actually going to come to save them, did he just write it in the sky and say, hey, I love you and I'm going to save you? No, he departed from his place and he came down to us. And so I felt like God was very specifically calling us to come to the valley and be a part of the community. And so that said, about uh, three months later, about November, we found a building that was right next to Napa. Apparently it had been a paint store. It had been a leather working shop. Um, it had been a gun store. Hey, all the best stuff of the community. 
And so why not have a church there? So we started renting this place for $525 a month. And when we started renting this place, it was a wide open space. It had a million plugins because it was a store with shelves in it. And it also uh, didn't have much else. It had a couple of rooms in the back. And you can see in the lower left-hand corner, on the far back of the, the room, there was actually two tiny rooms where we could have children's church. And so makeshift children's church areas that were so small. Uh, and, and I might add that when Lucy would have her up the back incidents, it was so small that you'd want to gag because there wasn't enough room. I mean, that's how we began. It's not always glamorous. Um, but as a part of that, we ended up on the lower right-hand corner, you can see that we built walls. We hung up a projector. We made a hallway so you could walk down to the children's area. We had a, a door where you could walk in and have a big open classroom and a couple of small rooms. And so uh, we had our new location November of 2013. So then in 2017, 16 in December, um, I get a text message from Ben Durbin, who's the pastor of uh, the bridge in Lettington. I went to high school with him. And he said, have you noticed that there's a church for sale in Pilot Knob? Now, much to my surprise, this was actually pictures of a church that three months previous I had driven by and said, why would you have a church there? That's the worst location. There's no parking, you know, and, and look, you know, it, it needs work and I would never want to have church up here. And so three months later, I get a text from Ben Durbin. He says, have you seen this church? And it's for sale for $19,995. Well, it's worth a look, right? All of a sudden, I, I seem foolish for saying that. And we had been looking at multiple locations. One was actually the, the location just up the street from my house. It was the old Methodist church. It became the Assemblies of God church. Now it's a house that apparently burned and who knows what happened there. But then there was a couple of other businesses. And, and then we walk up to this place in January. It's 30 degrees in this room because all the utilities were shut off. It was set up for, it was winterized. And as we walk in, on the lower left-hand corner, you see that picture. That's what it looked like. It looked pretty much just like this, except it needed chairs, and it had a pulpit that was so big that you wouldn't be able to see me behind it because guess what? I'm not big. I'm not tall. And somebody said, well, you can put a milk crate back there. I said, I will not. I ain't going to do it. So um, that said, we um, went through the proper procedure to get a loan, which I had never done before. In 2016, by God's providence, we had become an official organization so we could buy and sell and do all that kind of stuff. And we ended up in February 23rd, which would have been last Sunday, three-year anniversary, we purchased this building. And in March, we came in and did some renovation. We had to tear out block walls downstairs. We had to remove a lot of moldy drywall um, we filled up a, like a 20-yard dumpster out front. There was toilets we were tossing in. It was like an episode of Hoarders. We were just tossing stuff left and right, and we were trying to make it our own. And then one Saturday, we moved everything from that location to here, and we ended up spending several hours, and then the next morning, we had our first service here. And so by God's grace, we've been here for three years. And so um, on the, I've put together some pictures because recently we finished our downstairs. Um, several people have been working when no one's watching, some of it at their own expense. 
uh, making it way better than I even know how to do. And uh, there's been a lot of painting. There's been a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Um, and yet, here we have our basement. So on the left-hand side of these next few pictures, you'll see pictures of what it looked like when we first looked at the building and what it looks like now. So as you can see, there was lots of junk, um, but there was also drywall that had been wet. It had actually flooded down there. Uh, there was no ceiling, and there was water on the ground. And now there's like trim and wood and painted ceiling and vents that work and a projector. And it actually, those bathrooms in the far end of the left picture, if you went inside of them, I know none of you have seen Saw before, but that's what it looked like in there. It looked like a, a version of the, the movie Saw, all eight of them. And then we had a kitchen downstairs, and we actually ended up tearing that out because there was mold and that's where our classroom is there. And now we have a bathroom that we just recently added. So all that said, what is the purpose of God's church? I think sometimes in the scheme of things, we, we hear the word church and it springs an idea in our mind of what church means and what the purpose of church is. But there is a purpose for God's church. It's not just another social club. It's not just for the sake of being famous. It's not for the sake of building huge buildings. And it's actually not so that I get to sit up here for 45 minutes a week and talk and tell you what I think. It's about furthering the kingdom of Jesus. And the way that God does that is through the spoken word and through the study of his word. And so let's turn to Ephesians in chapter 4 this morning and talk about what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, where it says that God himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but instead speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever a joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so here's the plan and the purpose for the church. Number one, he raises up leaders from amongst us people and yet specifically gifted by God to be a part of the practical organization and leading of the local body of Christ. He raises up leaders for this purpose, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The word ministry is a, is a churchy word. The word ministry is actually service or servants. 
And so he raises up leaders for the equipping, for the preparation of the saints. Who are the saints? All of those who are clothed in the robes of Christ Jesus. We think of saints, what do you think of? Stained glass windows with people that are in them that got those like halo deals on them. But that's not what saints are. Saints are messy. Saints are people that have been saved by grace that God plans to use. And when God uses saints, by the way, people look at them and go, how did God use them? That's his plan. He uses the foolish things, Corinthians says, to confound the wise. He uses the things that are not to do the things that are. He does the miraculous through the common. And that's how God gets the glory. And so he also, his plan is to edify the body of Christ, which is the idea of strengthening. Now, healthy Christians strengthen one another. The idea of strengthening is when you see uh, trusses, and I meant to put a picture up there for you, but in a truss, there's the shape. There's the part that carries the roof, and there's the part that keeps the ceiling. And then in between, there's all these boards that seem to be, and of course, they need to be symmetrical, right? But that it's essentially like pieces of the puzzle that make the whole thing strong along the entire length of the roof. And so when it snows and there's snow piled up on a roof, if it's not strengthened, if it's not edified, then it can't withstand the load. And yet the body of Christ, when it is strengthened and properly mature, it's able to bear up and endure under suffering and stress. And so the purpose of the church is to raise up leaders, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and to strengthen the entire body of Christ for the work of the ministry. Who's called into ministry? Each follower of Jesus is called to service. But then also, the purpose of the church is to unify Christians in faith in the Son of God until we become just like Him. In John, in his letters to the church, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he talks about how when we see Jesus face to face, we will be like Him. And that's not something that just happens miraculously, although it is a miracle that we would become like the Son of God, but it's something that happens right now. And so how are we to become like Jesus Christ, but by getting to know him personally through salvation, but also getting to know him daily through walking in the word and being washed, Ephesians chapter 5, by the water of the word. And then the other purpose is to mature us so that we can not only be Christians that sharpen one another, but also so that we can take on the good and reject the bad. As our children grow up, we teach them the things that are healthy for them to eat and the things that are unhealthy because we want them to be healthy. And as believers, as we learn to eat the good bread, the bread from heaven, the manna, scriptures, as we're taught by God through his word, we become mature so that we can reject false teaching and we can actually take on more of the good teaching. So we can reject the lies of the world that will constantly tempt us to believe the things that are not true and subject them to the word of God and go, wait a minute, this thing that this commercial just told me about me is actually wrong. The word of God says this, we can combat lies with truth. We can be armed for battle the battlefield of the mind, but also to equip us not only to be healthy, 
not only to reject the bad, but also to share what God has shown us and made happen in our lives with a lost world that does not know him personally. So to equip us to share the truth, Jesus Christ is the truth. We're not just sharing information, we're sharing a person. Jesus Christ is a person and he is to be shared with the world. He is the gospel. What he has done, what he has accomplished, what he is doing now. If your faith, when you go to share your faith with someone else that doesn't know him and you're telling them a story that happened 20 years ago and that's where it stops, I would submit to you, your, your faith stopped at that point. And you might argue with me about faith being something you take on that can't go away and you can't fall away from, but I'm saying that God is the God of today. And so our faith that we're working out with fear and trembling should have an effect on our lives each and every day until he returns or until we go to be with him before his return. But also the whole point is to build one another up in this holy faith in Jesus. And so with that being the purpose You want to know what our method is as a church and what makes us unique? Maybe it's not something that actually should make us unique. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is our, if you want to call it that, and I say this uh, with kind of a, it's not a system. It's a relationship, but it's also just continuing in what God started in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have uh, what God did in the day of Pentecost. Jesus has already ascended to the throne of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus had told his disciples, when I depart from you, it's better that I go so that I can send my spirit to be with you, God with us, Emmanuel. And my spirit, Jesus was telling them, I can only be in one spot at at one point. Jesus could only be with this group of people. And then he had to travel to get somewhere else. But his spirit, like him, is omnipresent and omniscient. He can be all places at one point. And so he said, I'm going to send my spirit upon you. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you, upon all flesh. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, on that day of Pentecost, the day of the harvest, the day of the first fruits, rather, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And when he poured out his spirit, Peter, having just shared the message of Jesus Christ, 3,000 were saved in one day. And it was a mixed multitude. And so as 3,000 were saved, it goes on in Acts chapter 2 to say this in verse 42. We'll start in verse 40. He says, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. This is talking about Peter saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And... They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And as a result of them continuing in the apostles' doctrine, continuing to fellowship with one another, continuing to break bread together, continuing in prayer together, here's what happened, verse 43. Fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so with that being said, 
the, the four pillars of the faith that were shared March 3rd, 2013, the inaugural message, if you will, the first service we had, we talked about the four pillars of the early church. Number one, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the whole Bible is what we've committed to teach. That means that I can't harp on things that preach easy. That means I can't just focus on encouraging stuff. Sometimes we got to go through the hard to understand things. Sometimes we got to preach on tithing. Sometimes we got to teach what's going on as far as repentance and what that looks like. Sometimes we talk about how suffering is a part of the Christian life that's not negotiable. And so as a result of that, we don't just eat the candy, but we also eat the steak and the potatoes. And sometimes those things are hard to digest, even though we really like steak and potatoes, right? And so I have committed to teach you everything that the Bible has to say as much as depends upon me. And what's cool about that is last year we finished up the book of Hebrews. We taught James. I took an Old Testament sabbatical. We went to Old Testament and we studied Ruth. We went through First and Second Peter, First through Third John, Jude, and then we began the book of Revelation. And so that isn't always easy for me. But at the same time, I think it's what will make us balanced. We won't major on things that we really shouldn't major on, and we won't skip things that are uncomfortable. And at the same time, we'll get every piece of it as God put it in there in just the right balance. So then they continued steadfastly in fellowship, regular times of Christian fellowship. And what's interesting is we have kind of come up over the years with some staples. Here shortly in April, April 10th, I think, we're going to have the Agape Feast. That's on Good Friday. We get together to celebrate, which is the weirdest thing in the world, but to us who understand what it means, we celebrate Jesus' crucifixion. Not as something that's continuing to happen, but as something that's been accomplished on our behalf. Our shame, our, our sin, our guilt, it's been dealt with. We're free. And then uh, fall festival. We usually have a fall festival gathering around October or November, and we just get together to be with one another, to eat food, to play games, to do hayrides. And really, we're just celebrating that we are a family in Christ. Uh, Christmas Eve, every year we remember the birth of Christ and we tell the story. We take communion with one another. We go to youth camp. We have game nights. Uh, it's become a staple that we go to Winter Jam and stay way up too late. Um, we we uh, do movie nights. We do Bible studies. All of these things aren't just to add another thing to your schedule. I've seen your schedules. I've lived your schedules. They're hard. There's tons of stuff. One sport gets over and the next one's really already started. Not officially, but we've had gym days, you know, or whatever. But my point is that if, if we need to get better at sports by having more practices, how much do we need to get better at kingdom living by spending time with one another? And in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren, which is the habit of some. And I would say in our day and age, it's actually the habit of more than some. The things that would keep us away from church don't keep us away from work. They don't keep us away from uh, sports. They don't keep us from, from other things. And, and all the things that we can do, all the things that we can import to our, impart to our families and make a staple, I, I believe that this is the thing that will not be wasteful at all. Uh, we will use the things we're learning here for eternity. 
And we will be equipped for the sharing of our faith. We will be equipped to love one another and to love people that are unlovable because we've first been loved as unlovable people. Um, but then we continue steadfastly in the breaking of bread together. And I'm not talking about how we say fellowship and food. You know, in some circles, it's like fellowship cannot be had without food. And yet what we're talking about is what we're going to do this morning to celebrate communion. Jesus said, do this, take my body and take my blood. Remember me symbolically until I return. And this is just us kind of rehearsing the thing that we already know has taken place. That's why we tell this story every year about how we begin as a church, why we do what we do, because we don't want to forget the Israelites were saved and delivered from the, the land of their captivity. They were la- delivered from Egypt, the land of their slavery. But it was also the birth through the, the, the lamb, the Passover lamb that was killed and then the blood put over their doorposts. So every year they practiced that. They rehearsed that story because God wanted to remember them, that remember where they came from. And so for us, we rehearse this story, recognizing that it's all God's doing. So we continue to break bread together to remember the, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us wasn't a lamb, it was a human being, but he was the son of God and he's the creator of the universe. And yet he descended to us to sacrifice himself for us so that we could be saved, so that we could have fellowship with God, which makes all the difference. And then uh, also uh, we continue steadfastly in prayer, uh, intercessory prayer. We have that at 9 a.m. on, on, on uh, Sundays, but the point is we're praying for others. And I send out prayer requests when people have things going on in their lives that they are requesting prayer from their brothers and sisters in Christ. We share those things, not for gossip's sake, but so that we can literally take that need, take that desire and and bring it to the throne room of God together, even though we're separate. And as we do that, we also get to praise him when he answers, however he answers. Supplication, we ask God for things that we need. And then giving of thanks should be a big piece of praying. Thanking God for what he has done. Thanking God for things he's promised to do that maybe haven't come to pass yet. Uh, And this is something that we want to continue in uh, personally and corporately with one another and for one another. One of the biggest pieces that changed my Christian walk was when I watched my pastor and people would ask him for prayer. And you had to be careful where you ask him for prayer because he don't pray for you right now. Now he's not going to get all big and like make a scene about it. But if you ask for prayer, hopefully someone in here or myself will say, let's pray about it right now. That's kind of a practical thing because I'm going to forget. But it's also something where when we ask for prayer many times, it's because it's something that's weighing on us. And sometimes the things that we pray about, the things that we're anxious about, seem bigger than God because they seem closer to us. But when you lay your hand on someone's shoulder or when you pray with them, you're essentially inviting the creator of the universe, the savior of our souls, right down into the midst of it. And you're inviting him to be the solution to the problem. And then all of a sudden that problem don't seem so big no more. And so uh, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship with one another, communion, and then also prayer. So everything else that we do as a church should flow from that. 
It should flow from our relationship with Jesus. And if it doesn't, we shouldn't do it personally and practically. And so everything else is a fruit that grows. In 2019, in April, we had our first agape feast. We used to go to Parkland Chapel and have it with them. And I realized more people might come if we just have one here. So we started to have one here. Uh, in May, we had a ladies' study. We had a men's Bible study. I'm hoping we'll have another one of those here shortly. In June, uh, we had our first group from AV Chapel go to Israel together. We had about six of us. And I'm hoping that in 2021, if any of you are interested and you're praying about this, that you'll let me know because there's still spots available. And that's not common. Usually they go really quickly. And so if you're interested, please let me know. In July, we, um, we went to Camp Elevate. We took four youth and two adults. The year before that, I think we took 10 youth. So it's, it depends on what year, but we have a growing number of youth. And, and that's an awesome time just to get, to, uh, get away and to hear from the Lord on your level if you're a youth or if you're an adult that wants to be a part of that. In August, we added downstairs bathroom. And we bought some uh, 25 more chairs for the sanctuary. And by God's grace, we've been filling them. Thank you. Um, September, uh, we had a ladies' Bible study. Uh, Daniel Messiah from Open the Doors or Open the Gates Ministries came and shared about sharing the gospel in the Muslim world. God loves Muslims. Did you know that? And so uh, Daniel Messiah, his name used to be Muhammad. And when he became a believer, he said, I will never go a day without sharing my faith with at least, I can't remember, 10 people. And he does that every day because no one shared the gospel with him as a Muslim. They were afraid he was going to bomb them. And yet he was receptive and he received Christ and he's still doing that. Uh, We also updated our live stream camera equipment and lots of folks are able to watch online if they're sick. In October, I became officially a full-time pastor for the first time in six years. I've actually taken pay. Every other year, I've said I've never taken pay and there's never been a need. But last year, I was checking through my notes and I was saying to you that pray for me because it's very difficult to work over 40 hours a week to be a family man, but also to have enough time to invest in the people that God's called to fellowship here. And by God's grace, he fired me from U.S. Tool. And he placed me as a full-time pastor, and it didn't look like I thought it would. And I'm praying that I'd actually be able to be down here full-time, because right now a lot of my time goes to Parkland Chapel. But by God's grace, he's going to do it. And it was my heart cry last year, and I said, any way you want to do it, Lord, I did not expect the way he chose. But I'm thankful for it. It's been good. And I think many of you have also said the same. Um, So I got to go to a pastor's conference. And I also got to go to the, uh, we also had our annual fall festival. In November, um, a couple of guys came in and put a ceiling in the basement. We had a game night. We did Operation Christmas Child. Many of you uh, supported that and sent boxes to foreign countries all over the world and the gospels being shared. In December, we began finishing, excuse me, the basement. We started to expand the parking uh, and we added foyer cabinets uh, we did some bell ringing at Save-A-Lot, and we had a Christmas Eve service. In January, we added drums to the worship team. Um, we also uh, started a Bible reading group. Many of you are a part of on version. If any of you want to kind of jump in and read along with us, we're, we're in numbers. We're almost past the hard part, so join in. Uh, become my friend on the, uh, the version app, and I'll add you to the list. Um, and then in February, we had a ladies' Bible study. 
I think there was also a movie night, and uh, the basement is now finished by God's grace. And so all of those things, hopefully, are out of the abundance of the fact that you recognize that Jesus loves you and that he wants to impact our valley. And as we want to see the church grow, it is not my desire to see us become a bigger church for the sake of having more people, because it's not worth it if that's the goal. We'll be worn out doing stuff. But if the goal is that God's kingdom would expand and that more and more people would be set free from sin and the lifestyle of just dissipation and waste, then, then I'm a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to see God flip families upside down. I want to see God redeem relationships. I want to see brokenness alleviated. I want to see poverty go away, but not just for the sake of social justice, but for the sake of people knowing their creator, knowing the one that gives them breath, knowing that there's purpose in this life, and it's not just about living and dying, and then there's nothing, but that we have a God who cares about us. And so uh, our evangelistic program is that you guys would be impacted deeply by the work of Jesus and that you would go and intentionally share that with people you know, people you know that are lost. They need Jesus and you're the one. So currently, October 10th, 2020, I became a full-time pastor. In October, we, um, from October till now, We've doubled in size as far as membership. And what's interesting is we don't have membership. So if you want to know how to become a member here, keep showing up. That's, how, that's our membership. And when I showed up at Parkland Chapel, I just wanted to be with those people. And I emailed the pastor, and I was like, how do I become a member? And he's like, uh, don't stop showing up. Just keep showing up. Be a part. Serve in the ways you feel called to. And, and that's, it's that simple. Um, but he texted me uh, back a few weeks ago now, and he said, did you know that there is bamboo that when you plant it, it actually, uh, when you plant it, you water, you feed it, and it doesn't, grow, it doesn't show any signs of growth for sometimes up to seven years. But in the seventh year, all of a sudden, you keep feeding it, keep watering it, nothing's happened, and in the first three weeks, he says, it, it grows like 10 foot a week. And, and I, I think that we've been seeing that. Now, it doesn't necessarily look that way this morning because uh, apparently not coronavirus, but the flu, which is apparently a bigger deal, the flu is actually causing some major problems. But that said, uh, if everyone shows up, we're kind of running out of seating. Uh, we're definitely running out of parking. And so um, these are problems, but they're good problems. And so during that time, God has added to our leadership. Uh, our church government is very simple. It's pastor-led uh, board assisted and accountable. And so a lot of the financial decisions that get made go uh, between about three of us. We pray over it. If there's no unity, we don't do it. If there's unity and if there's provision, we do it. And we try to keep it simple so that we can be easier moved. We don't want to have to have three board meetings. We don't want to have to, and it's not so much because we don't want the oversight. We want to be nimble. We want to be able to make decisions quickly as the Spirit is leading. And so many times there's things we get to be a part of that a lot of churches can't because it takes a couple of board meetings and it takes 50 people agreeing or it takes the whole congregation to have a, a Sunday night uh, meeting about it. And it's not, it, it's not necessary. And so uh, all that said, we have elders, uh, Steve Persley, and right now Jason Samples from Parkland Chapel. He was here last week. Um, 
We have a church secretary now. Uh, we had one before. It's been my wife, but now it's going to be Laurelyn Dickerson. Um, then we also have deacons. Jesse's been on board with us for a while. Um, Dave Dickerson is now a deacon, as well as Drew Warren. And those are the verses that we base qualifications on there on the right. Also, as a practical thing, we're out of parking space and we're looking to add. And so we've added gravel back in the back. And because of there used to be a parking lot there, we're going to add some parking curbs. It, but we know it's not going to settle because it's already had a base. It just kind of grew up the grass. Um, so that decreases the amount of grass we have to grow, but it also increases the amount of spaces. And so we're going to get some parking curbs so that it's not just a free-for-all back there at the mercy of whoever shows up first. But we're also going to hopefully extend it a little bit so there's enough area to back out and pull out. And But uh, as you know... Um, we also park on the streets, and so that's not really safe for kiddos. Uh, by God's grace, we're in a spot where there's not a ton of traffic, but I'm praying that God would actually provide so that we can buy that lot right up the hill and actually expand our parking up there and, uh, and other places as he opens our eyes to see that. Um, also, we're needing more space in here. Uh, there's one week where we had 70 people. We've got enough space for, I think, 120. We're going to have to buy some more chairs. Um, but we've been praying about knocking out this wall right here and then replacing it with essentially the same amount of space that we have right here, we would have it right over there. And instead of having the stage here, I would teach from that far end. So for those of you that come in a little bit late, you will no longer have to do the uh, walk of shame, for lack of a better term. <laughs> but you also won't get locked out on the side doors. Now, we do lock the doors during service many times because of safety and all this stuff in the day and age we live in, um, but we do have some folks that are watching those doors. So if you just hang out for a minute, we'll see you, or I'll sit here and go, hey, let them in. Um, but we'll try not to make a big deal about it. But our hope is that we would actually um, build out that way, expand the sanctuary, and by that point, we could actually fit about 250 people in here which if you think about the population of our area, um, and I don't know exactly what it is, that might be getting close to 10% of our area. So that's actually a pretty big number. It's a faith goal, not just to grow numbers, but for the sake of having a larger impact. Architectural people say that once you get about 75 to 85% full, it actually starts stunting growth because then people feel like there's not really enough space. And we don't live in the boondocks because we like being close to people. We actually like to have a little breathing room. And uh, I'm okay with that because I like that too. Um, but that said, we, we need to have more space. And so pray along with us on that. And uh, we're actually going out for bids right now, uh, just praying and seeing what God might do. And as a part of that, we want to replace the roof, replace the siding, and kind of clean the place up a little bit more. So how does it all get paid for? Well, uh, it gets paid for by people giving, but we also don't pass the plate, and that is intentional because I don't know about you guys, but I've been to church just long enough to know that every time the plate went by me, I might put five bucks in there, but it wasn't because I wanted to. I just felt like somebody might see me what I was doing, and so um, we don't pass the plate. We don't want people to be burned by money or stumbled by it, so we don't take an offering, but there's a box in the back, and over the last seven years, everything has been paid for by people just being faithful, and giving as the Lord leads. 
And I don't get up here and harp on it unless it's in the scripture we're teaching. But that said, everything does get paid for by people just giving, myself included. Whatever I make, a, a portion of that goes in there. And it's a faith thing because you're essentially saying, we trust you to use this wisely, but you're also saying, I trust you, God, and whatever you provided me, I'm going to give you the first fruits. And so uh, we do not pass the plate, and, and that's on purpose. Uh, we also support three ministries and some benevolence outside of the church. Over the last seven years, 17% of what we, our goal is to give away 15% to ministries outside our doors. But over the last seven years, we've averaged about 17% that we have not used for ourselves. We've sent it to other gospel-centered ministries. So uh, we support locally Backpack Impact in our Jerusalem. And I did not realize the impact that it had until we had a couple of kids come into our house to the foster system, and they get lots of food, you know. And, and by God's grace, a lot of bellies are getting filled on weekends, um, also, we sponsor, uh, we support Riverwoods Fellowship, which is a friend of mine that I met when we went to Israel in 2017. He's planting a church in Mormon country in Logan, Utah. Um, and then also BCA Ministries. We sponsor a young man by the name of Emmanuel Mwape, and we also uh, support other needs that arise. Like recently, they needed bathrooms upgraded or they were going to get shut down as a, as a uh, school in Zambia. And so they just let us know. We had more than we needed just to sponsor a child, so we took the rest of that. So we give a specific amount to these ministries every month. And anything above and beyond that, we write a check at the end of three months, quarterly, and we make sure that we're tithing on what comes in. And many times it meets practical needs like that. And so also uh, when benevolence comes up, people you know, call the church and they're like, we're out of gas money. And I show up at the gas station, I use the car to get them some gas. They say, oh, thank you so much. And I say, that's from Jesus. And we want you to know that Jesus cares about your practical needs, but he also came to save you. And so if you don't have a church you're going to, we invite them here, but we say, you need to know Jesus. And we share that with them. Uh, this is a practical need that he is meeting by his grace. And so looking forward this year, we're planning to have an agape feast, April 10th. We have a growing number of youth, so we're still praying that God would raise up and sprout a youth group. Uh, in the spring and summer, uh, there's grumblings of a barbecue slash ATV event, and we don't know all the details on that yet, but I think it's an awesome idea. Uh, but we're planning on possibly having that out at, the, at Kathy and Lester's place. And so if anybody's interested in that, maybe talk to her and we'll get the details solidified. Um, we also want to do a baccalaureate outreach dinner. This has been on my heart for many years. We have Stephen, who's been with the church for a while. He's a graduate in 2020. My heart is that we would actually send out invites to all the senior families for the seniors and for their parents to invite them to a meal, not charge them a dime, feed them a meal, bless them, congratulate them. And then I want to share a story of mine, which I won't get into today for time's sake, but essentially somebody gave me a card when I graduated high school, it had 20 bucks in it. I never read it. 12 years later, I pulled it out and realized this guy shared Jesus with me and basically told me not to waste the 12 years. I just did. And so I want to read it to them and let them know that Jesus loves them right now, that he wants to change their life. He doesn't want them to waste the next 12 years like I did. And then we want to bless them and send them on their way with a full belly. 
And so that's it. That's a simple way that we can impact our valley. And when you love people's kids, you love them. And that's also, they leave their parents behind. And so it's a way to reach out and share the gospel. Uh, Also, we'll have a fall festival, Christmas Eve service. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, as we close, I want to share with you the verses I believe that God's given us for our church this year. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. So as we've had more needs arise, more people, more needs, more problems, more property, more parking, more space, all of those things, um, I think many times we try to come up with programs on how to fix that. And yet in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus said, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so as we've seen God already use that verse this year, we've been going to the secret place and asking for more children's church volunteers. We've been going to the secret place and asking for provision for specific things. And we've been going to the secret place and praying for one another, and we're seeing God answer. And so my prayer is that we will all take this verse home with us and pray for the growing of God's kingdom in these specific ways. So I'm praying for our first love to be Jesus, the works that we do to flow out as a response to his love for us, that we love one another well. Jesus said they will know you because of your love for one another. That will distinguish us from the rest of the world. And that as we go into the world, and each one of you do each and every day, that we look for ways to share the gospel practically how we live like Jesus, and to share the message. Tell the world what Jesus has done for you. Tell your story. People can argue with your doctrine, but they can't argue with your testimony. Everybody else is telling you what they feel and think and believe. Why aren't we? So um, as we think about this, I want to lead you through communion this morning, because as we remember this story, really, it's all about Jesus. So uh, we will take communion. So turn with me to... Matthew in chapter 26. This is what we're going to do this morning. Before we eat together, we're going to eat together. And as you turn there, we're going to um, sing a song, and then uh, leave your Bibles open to there, and then when we get, we're going to sing a song. You guys can come up and, and get your, the communion elements, and then I will lead you through communion as we read Matthew chapter 26.